Thanks very much for joining me today on Live, Work, Play, the Economic Development Podcast. I'm joined by Trevor Lewington from Lethbridge Economic Development. So thanks for joining me, Trevor, and really looking forward to hearing more about what's happening in Lethbridge and in your story as well. Oh, I appreciate the opportunity, Paul. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, so one of the great things about uh, being able to ask questions in this format is I get to say, so Trevor, tell me, how did you get into economic development? I, I think like most economic developers entirely by accident. So my background is actually in the food manufacturing space. So I worked for a consumer packaged goods company. I was uh, in manufacturing supply chain and logistics. And so when my predecessor announced her retirement and the fact that she was leaving, uh, she actually gave me a call and said, hey, I'm, I'm leaving my job and you know you should consider applying. And at the time I was like, well, that's great. I think you're nuts. Uh, I don't know anything about economic development. And she very quickly replied, yeah, but you've you've worked in industry, you've owned small businesses, you've worked in government. You know, that's essentially that's that's the main ingredients of economic development. I thought, well, that's interesting. And the more I thought about the project based sort of nature of it and hopefully doing positive things in your community. And I was like, all right, well, I'll humor her. I'll apply. I will. I probably won't even get an interview. And then, of course, that happened. And you go through the process. And the more I learned, the more I was like, no, this this could be an interesting home. And eight years later, here I am still in the same chair. So, wow. And, you know, that uh, that's a great but not unusual story in economic development that in a lot of cases, people don't go wake up in the morning that like a kid who wants to be a firefighter and say, oh, yeah, I want to no kid wakes up in the morning and goes, I want to be an economic development officer. Yeah, there's no there's no magic poster on any kid's bedroom wall. I think you know, a guy with a briefcase or you know clipboards or presenting to council or something on the wall. But maybe maybe that's where we start. We need to build a cartoon superhero for economic developers. That's a great idea. I think that's awesome. But there's probably so, a graphic novel in there somewhere. Really cool that obviously in that case you had strong ties to the community before you started uh, with economic development Lethbridge. Yeah, I think, you know, so part of my other part-time gig is I'm the mayor of the village of Sterling where I live. So uh, I've been on council now three terms, about nine years. And so I think living both sides of that table, right? As an economic developer, I'm often presenting to elected officials and trying to convince them on certain things. And at the same time, simultaneously, I'm on the other side of the table in my own jurisdiction. So I think that helps. And knowing the region and being a part of some of those regional commissions and boards and structures and elected official help me understand some of the broader issues of the region. And certainly, you know, I always say that economic development is a team sport, especially for a community like Lethbridge. We are a regional hub, but there's no windmills inside the city, even though we're strong in renewable energy. There's no potato farms inside the city, even though we're the hub for processing, right? So it's, it really is a regional story when we're talking about economic development in Southern Alberta. And you are definitely very unique in the sense that you're an elected official and an economic development leader in the space. So, um, yeah, those two hats are very different. And I would imagine really help you uh, to kind of see the perspectives from both sides. Yeah, you know, I I, I hope so. Uh, I, I certainly think it's conditioned me to at least understand the kinds of questions that I'm going to get as an economic developer. But more importantly, uh, as an elected official, you're you're presented with a broad range of topics from hey, we need to upgrade the sewer lift station capacity on our capital plan all the way through to what are we doing with fire response all the way through to what's the latest, you know, provincial ruling on taxation issues. And 
and no one human can possibly be an expert in those things. So you get used to relying on your experts, asking lots of great questions. And I think as an economic developer, I'm far better now at about explaining myself and trying to articulate, not just to, to my elected officials, but to other stakeholders, here's why we work on the things we work on. Here's why we've developed the strategy we have. Here's why we're not focusing on every shiny object that comes by and we're really focusing on our strength. So hopefully I'm a better communicator and I'm better able to articulate the value we create as a result. Well, and I think that also speaks to the fact that when you consider economic development, there are so many options and so many temptations to, to dive into. Um, one of the most difficult things is to really focus in the areas where you know uh, you've got a chance at doing great things. And, and so that kind of gives me a, a really good uh, segue to talk a little bit about some of the plans that you have with uh, Lethbridge Economic Development and uh, recently uh, launching your 2023-26 business plan. And uh, yeah, so maybe uh, if you could, Trevor, just share a little bit about some of the highlights that you see within that plan and and where you where you'd like to position Lethbridge in terms of uh, you know the strengths and weaknesses and 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 benefits and opportunities that are there. Sure. Uh, so uh, we're economic development. Lethbridge is actually an arm's length organization. So we're an independent, not for profit society. We have our own board of directors. We're, of course, funded by the city of Lethbridge. They're a key stakeholder of ours. But what that does uh, is it really provides a community lens to economic development. So my board is, you know, 31 community and business leaders. So it is a fairly sizable group. So um, aggressive facilitation by the board chair is important. But that that forum of community and business leaders, it's their job actually to build the strategy and provide input and help us articulate what those what those issues should be. And so the better part of last year, coming into the next four-year business planning cycle, uh, was really focused on identifying what some of the key activities are. So we're focused on six key pillars. The first one being investment attraction, which I think every economic development organization <laughs> talks about. Uh, and for us, that's a focus on things like renewables, not in the city itself, but in the broader region. Southwest Alberta has enormous capacity for wind and solar. And so all of those service companies, all of those property companies, all those construction companies, we hope Lethbridge companies are bidding on that and absorbing some of that work, right? But there's, if you look at the approval queue right now for uh, renewable projects in our region, it's around $10 billion worth of projects that are proposed. So that's a significant chunk of money that you know local business should be going after. The other one for us is something we've branded as Canada's premier food corridor. So we are a hub for value-added processing. Of course, we're in the, the heartland or the breadbasket of our province as well from a primary ag perspective. But how do we add more value? How do we get more of those processors here to create those jobs and those opportunities to provide more value to commodities in this market? So those are sort of two key things inside of investment attraction. Business retention and expansion, again, likewise, I think is a generic sort of pillar for everybody's strategy. Uh, for us, though, it's really focused on workforce and supply chain. So like everywhere, I think the pandemic taught us some important lessons. Uh, for example, we've just been approved under both the rural renewal stream and the rural entrepreneur stream of the Alberta Advantage Immigration Program, or AAIP. 
And so how do we bring in more new Canadians to our region? How do we make Lethbridge a, a, a desirable destination? How do we retain students? Uh, as some of your listeners will know, we have both the University of Lethbridge and Lethbridge College. So for a community of 100,000 people to have two world-class post-secondaries is pretty rare. But that's, you know, between the two, that's about 15 or 16,000 students that we need to try and retain and keep that talent in our community. And likewise, supply chain, whether it's warehousing or our regional airport or rail and road, how do we build a complementary ecosystem just like we've got on the food side? How do we do that in warehousing and logistics to support multiple industries? And there's lots of other things, but those are some of the key issues. Yeah, we I mean, all, sorry. sorry, sorry, Trevor. Uh, yeah, I mean, the labor force uh, piece is such a huge one. And again, like you said, after COVID, we learned a lot of lessons about where we're at and where we need to go. But like a lot of places uh, in Canada, we're, we're struggling to retain people that, uh, in your case, uh, may be post-secondary students, but, but also to develop other people uh, in different ways and retooling uh, into different industries. So it's, uh, it's really cool to see um, that focus, but how every community has a different emphasis on how they want to make that work. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the sort of the numbers that I explain to people is in this region, so Lethbridge and Medicine Hat form an economic region that the province monitors, of course. There are 6,000 job vacancies in our economic region today. So those are employers that would hire a, a person tomorrow if they could. And that's basically double what it was in 2019. So the, through the course of the pandemic, it's a good news, bad news story. The good news is employers have way more jobs than we had before. They simply cannot fill them, right? So that's the first challenge is just the enormity of vacant jobs to keep businesses running and the risks to, of course, economic output when you can't fill a shift or you can't run a plant 24 and 7. But the second piece is really around skills. And so we did a regional job skill study a number of years ago, and it was part of prompted by a report that the Conference Board of Canada did, and it identified our region as one of the more vulnerable in Canada to automation. So, you know, agriculture's automating, manufacturing's automating, a lot of those jobs, when that automation is implemented, there's really no other place for that labor to go, right? So when you automate so-called quote-unquote entry-level positions, those people that are displaced, well, there's no other entry-level jobs to go to because everybody else is automating. And so it really mm -hmm. identified a need in this market to make sure we're upskilling to your point and anticipating the jobs of the future and building that capability. So that's a big focus for us. No doubt. And, you know, the food corridor, like you've had some really awesome announcements over the last, you know, few months, if not years, yeah. but you're starting to see even more scale uh, coming to the region. And that's really exciting to see that level of investment. Did you want to talk a little bit about some of those big wins that you've had? Sure. I, you know, the most recent one is uh, McCain uh, announced their single largest capital investment in the company's history in our region. So their existing plant in Lethbridge County is going to double in size. Uh, so it's a $600 million investment and it creates an incremental around, you know, roughly 250 new jobs. That's amazing. But it's also significant because it means, you know, probably eight to 10,000 acres of additional uh, potato requirements, which creates jobs in the value chain and right back to the farm gate. And what it will likely do is also prompt their competitors 
So we have both Lamweston and, and Cavendish in this in this region. It will likely prompt some sort of response from both of those organizations. So I'm hoping that this is more of a catalytic sort of announcement that it prompts the competition to do much the same. So that's been amazing. The, the other recent one last year is a company called PIP International that's in the yellow pea processing plant protein space, which I think is a really important spot for Alberta to get into. Uh, there's been a number of projects announced in Alberta, but we've yet to see one sort of up and running. So PIP actually has their demo plant here in Lethbridge that's functional in producing product. And they've announced plans for a $200 million large scale processing plant that'll you know be disruptive to the industry. So as we feed uh, an increasing global population that's more and more hungry for protein, you know, Alberta, Canada, we have a, a real opportunity to play there, which I think is very exciting as well. Well, and I think, you know, one of the things that uh, has struck me over the last few years is just how much of an advance in ag tech and processing has been uh, like on the on the on the burner here in in Alberta in particular. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of really great collaboration that's been taking place, uh, even to the point of creating a, more of a startup uh uh, ecosystem for the development of uh, ag food based uh, development yeah. and 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 I imagine that that uh, is naturally uh, you know like you said uh, Lethbridge is a very strong in that area but having some of those other things that have been uh, put in place uh, through other organizations uh, across the board makes a big difference. Yeah, and the one that comes to mind almost immediately is our regional innovation network. So there are eight RINs across the province, but RINSA or the Regional Innovation Network of Southern Alberta, if you need another acronym, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's a number of community partners, including our post-secondaries, including my organization that actively work together collaboratively to support entrepreneurs and startups, and in particular in the tech space. So that group meets once a month. And as new companies come to our market or as companies express a need for funding support or prototyping support, the partners around the table try to figure out how best to serve that company within the ecosystem. So having those supports, I think, is critical for a smaller, mid-sized market like Lethbridge to be able to capitalize on the tech opportunity. And to your point, it's geospatial technologies, it's ag tech, it's VR and AR, and more and more, those things are blending into sort of this technical foundation that's across all industries, right? So mm -hmm. the same mapping technology that you might use for your drone to monitor a field of canola is the same technology you can deploy for forestry, but it's also the same you can use at an event for a video production, right? So it's mm -hmm. we're seeing these these technologies explode, but they really have implications across just about every industry. So that's important yeah, that they're that, there. Yeah, that kind of convergence is is totally. really quite amazing. And uh, I know a while back I heard you speak a little bit about uh, like global supply in terms of agriculture, and uh, you know uh, I. You, you almost got yourself into a little bit of trouble talking about the advantages of uh, global warming, but it was quite amazing and, you know, quite a quite an awesome stat for you to share about, you know, in the last 50 to 60 years, how the growing season in Alberta has grown by 52 days, I think it was that you had said. Sure. And um, and it's it's not natural for us these days to see that in a positive light, but it really has had an impact on what can be produced for producers that have access to irrigated land and so on. So, um, you know, those are real great advantages that uh, that you have in that region for sure. 
Yeah, you know, and I, of course, I, I don't want to misrepresent the fact that climate change is a concern, water scarcity is a concern, but as as climate changes, as growing seasons change, as crop resilience changes, we have to adapt, right? So that means breeding new varieties or perhaps moving to different crops entirely. So for me, it's about what does this region need to do to position itself better looking, looking forward? And the example that always comes to mind for me is a, a research project at the university where they're exploring how do you grow rice in southern Alberta? And I was wow. like, well, you can only grow rice in countries in Asia where you can flood irrigate. And they're like, no, no, we're experimenting with traditional irrigation and drip lines, but we're looking to grow rice in southern Alberta as another opportunity crop. And that it's taken me a long time to get my head wrapped around that research, right? Yeah, for sure. And that just kind of underscores, you know, how how varied and the scope of research is in Alberta in the agricultural <laughs> space, right? Yeah. Definitely. Um what would you say in terms of like some of the other things that you're doing, uh, Trevor, and it, with your organization? Uh, well, what sort of things are you most excited about? Uh, one that we've been starting to focus on is film and TV, the creative industries. So that has traditionally not been an area of focus for Lethbridge specifically. And we're working with um, our stakeholders, including the city, to better understand what can Lethbridge do to be more film friendly, you know, it's certainly The Last of Us. I mean, everybody's heard about it. Most people have seen it. You you have to be living under a, a proverbial zombie-covered <laughs> rock to not know that that happened in Alberta. Uh, but last year, there was roughly half a billion dollars in production value. And so we know that a lot of that happens around Lethbridge. We've had, you know, things in Fort McLeod, which is 30 minutes away, lots of things in the mountains, which is an hour away. And we know Lethbridge businesses are part of that, but what can we do to better support the industry? How do we do a better job of attracting that here, I think is key for us. We likely won't be doing a lot of that work until next year. We're working through some of the policy considerations this year with council, uh, but I think it's important that we understand Lethbridge has a role to play. We've got, you know, within an hour of the city, you've got everything from the badlands to the grasslands, to the mountains, to the US border. So if you're doing a production, we've got a, a very va vast and diverse landscape all within a convenient distance of our community. So uh, that's a big focus for us moving forward. Yeah, no doubt. And I have to say, I look a little differently at my pepperoni and mushroom pizza these days, <laughs> thanks to Last of Us. It's like, mm. Yeah, and, and then you find out, you know, you read the headlines about how that, that particular spore actually exists in the real world. But don't worry, it's fine. It couldn't possibly mutate. That's very encouraging, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely. For us, you know, again, the, the tech space. So entrepreneurship and innovation is a big focus area for us. We do operate a technology incubator here in town. Um, but, it, you know, one of the programs we're working through right now is called Elevate IP. So we've partnered with the University of Calgary and Innovate Calgary actually to offer that program across the whole province. So how do we get Alberta entrepreneurs, first of all, generating more intellectual property? And you look at the number of patents per capita in Alberta relative to the rest of Canada is quite high. Uh, last time I checked, it was about 160 patents per million people in Alberta. And that number in Ontario is about 140. And in some of the Eastern provinces is less than 100. But when you look at the U.S., it's over 600 patents per million. And when you look to countries like Korea, it's several thousand per, per million. So although Alberta does well relative to the rest of the country, from a global perspective, we're very far behind. And we've got all of this great research, as you mentioned earlier, happening. We've got these great post-secondary institutions. We've got very innovative businesses. 
but how do we better harness that IP? And more importantly, the program we're working with the University of Calgary and Innovate Calgary with is how to better protect that IP. How do we teach entrepreneurs how to better use their ideas, monetize their ideas and protect those ideas? So that's a new program that's going to be a, a very big focus for us over the next couple of years. Well, it, it's very interesting to kind of think about that in terms of Alberta, in terms of our history, but also just in terms of the you know how we've been exposed to tech over time and uh how uh you know the innovation uh network i guess you could say um functions and how do we even bring that up as a topic for younger younger people in alberta uh as something to think about because it's really a big cultural shift mm -hmm. to take to say being in that entrepreneurial space versus being in uh you know something that's kind of already put together and you just have to apply for a job and here you go, uh, you're on your way. Uh, it takes a whole lot of different skills to build an entrepreneur uh, than it does to, um, you know, get a job and, and comfortably chug along for X number of years. That part of our history has really changed over time. Yeah, I, th I think it's actually a gap in the education system, right? We We encourage people to get a good education, get a good job, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But there is this group of people that have these ideas that are literally pounding on the inside of their head to get out this entrepreneurial spirit. And we don't do a good job in my mind of teaching people how to think about that critically and evaluate opportunities and be a good entrepreneur. And so that often comes later as as people explore that and, and being an entrepreneur, starting business, creating wealth, creating jobs. That's a marvelous career opportunity and an important one in our economy. But to your point, it's it's just not part of the formal structure anyway. There's no lesson plan for that. Right? Mm -hmm. Well, and, it, and you could argue that being an entrepreneur is just anti-organizational <laughs> in a way. Uh, you know, entrepreneurs do kind of color outside of the lines and that's that's how they start. But we're always taught sort of at a young age that, uh, you know, and I, I would say all parents probably condition their kids to take a, a very safe and rewarding career rather than uh you know flying on the trapeze uh from 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 bar to bar uh which a lot of entrepreneurs actually do and um but the more and more that we see this i think there are the beginnings of that kind of a culture in alberta um through you know various incubators and accelerators like uh, platform calgary and others right. uh, that really make a difference and and at least open people's minds to the idea of what that could look like and what it is right if your only concept of an entrepreneur is uh, elon musk uh <laughs> then then maybe that's you know room for some growth there in terms of telling the story in a in a more realistic way yeah, you know, there's great tools out there like the business model of Canvas that are unstructured structures for entrepreneurs that like to color outside the lines, but provide that, you know, that systemic sort of structured thinking. And, you know, my conversation, a lot of our business advisors, when they're teaching some of our entrepreneur clients, is like, it's great that you think you're creative and you've got all that, but you still need to convince a banker. You still need to be able to run your business and scale it, right? So, when you want to franchise or when you want to grow, that's when you need all of these other processes. So let's start thinking about that from the beginning. Yeah, and it's different to, uh, you know, have that idea in your head versus standing up in a room with a pitch deck 
and exactly. and trying to secure funding right so exactly and and there's like a continuum of where that fits necessarily in that whole you know entrepreneur world not everyone's a startup and not everyone does right. uh you know the uh the type of work that requires uh, ip licensing but um even for some people to say i'm going to be a bookkeeper and put your name out there on a shingle is uh, a risk that maybe they've never even contemplated and uh, an important conversation I think that needs to happen a lot more in Alberta. No, I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. Um, let's see. I mean, you've got uh, all kinds of stuff on the go. Uh, you've worn many hats uh, from economic development to mayor and then also with some experience uh, on a provincial level as a, as a past president of the economic developers association of alberta um mm -hmm. how does that how do you when you look back trevor over the eight years that you've been in economic development uh what sort of thoughts do you have about the, that progression for you yeah again you know i didn't well, i wasn't looking for this job when it found me so that you know sort of a, an interesting beginning and likewise, you know, I joined Economic Developers Alberta because I was interested in better understanding the network because I hadn't come from that world and ended up really becoming fascinated by the governance and the supports. I mean, we have about, uh, you know, 450 members across the province, and these are frontline folks doing sort of the core economic development fundamental work in communities all across this province from the smallest towns all the way up to the largest major centres. But for me, it was it was very selfish initially. I just wanted to understand the issues and better better build my own personal network. And then just as I became president, we had this small deviation in the plan called COVID. Uh, and you know, and this is an organization, a provincial professional membership-based organization whose revenues come from events. Our annual conference and our webinars and our seminars, that's where the revenue for the organization comes from. So instantaneously, we were almost in crisis mode to say, how do we sustain this enterprise, right? And kudos to our small but mighty staff team who very quickly moved to providing a bunch of stuff online, moving all of our training courses online, moving our conference online uh, and making that adjustment. So for me, it was a great opportunity to see resilience in action and just see how quickly an organization can. And I, I hate to use the P word because it was like the word of 2020, but pivot uh, mm -hmm. to something different. Right. And I think it's it's a great example of how organizations can thrive as long as you've got the right people and the right discussions and you're sensitive to what people need. Well, and I think uh, like you framed it before saying, you know, COVID did in fact provide some gifts along the way and it did teach us how to be a lot more resilient. And yes, yeah. I shudder when I use the word pivot still, wow. and I probably will for a very long time. But, you know, I think it really challenged the creativity of everyone and really asked ask the question what's really important at the end and and i think in that way it taught us a you know some valuable lessons as well i mean obviously right. there were many tragedies along the way and uh no one will dispute that it's uh you know it's really changed the landscape uh for everyone but uh you know it it's impressive just to see how in many ways it galvanized a lot of people including uh you know economic developers across uh across alberta but everywhere for that matter yeah i mean it's simple things like I, I think just the acceptance of the fact that remote meetings and even discussions like this don't have to be face to face and that's okay it's not mm -hmm. a lower quality it's now 
standard practice to perhaps have a, a video conference on a digital platform before meeting in person. And that's that's been normalized. Likewise, the the work-life balance that comes from if you want to work from home a couple of days a week, then great. You still need to interact with your team, but it's okay because you may be more productive if you have some alone time without the distractions. I think those things have been normalized and those are those are important changes for us to look at. And even you know, I think about all of the restaurants that immediately shifted to curbside pickup and delivery. And really, actually, there's a number of local businesses here that I'm familiar with that doubled the size of their business once COVID restrictions were lifted because they kept all of that delivery and curbside pickup business and then could fill their restaurant as well. So they actually, you know, gained in the long run, not to say it wasn't painful, lots of hurt out there, not minimizing that. But even retail businesses that still today are offering delivery and curbside pickup where you, you know, I, I think it's most of the grocery stores, you pull into a little stall, they bring the food to you, you don't even have to go in the store anymore. Well, mm-hmm. That's brilliant. I'm a big fan of that. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, there are new conveniences that came from that that will be hard for us to give up in the long run. Yeah. And it, it it probably didn't hurt, frankly, to remind companies that globally stretched supply chains and just in time was, is you know, maybe the most cost effective until something doesn't work. And all of a sudden, reshoring, friendshoring, redundancy in systems, you know, I'm not sure that's a bad thing. In fact, it's it's caused us to rethink sort of the global structure of things and it's forced companies to rethink what's important to them, which is it's mm-hmm. a good consideration. Well, at the end of the day, having a dependable supply chain is, you know, very important. And then you start to see things like uh, global conflicts that have impacted that even in the last uh, year or so. And those things really do matter. And and it's in many ways, we've uh, seen examples of where reinvestment was absolutely necessary and uh, makes good sense. And with the, you know, addition of technology and automation, uh, can can prove that you can have operations in in our our locations here and and be just as effective. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, Trevor, I think that uh, probably covers everything. I mean, uh, we could probably go on for days, of course. If I we could chat. Yeah. Had a beverage in hand that would go even further but uh yeah i really enjoy uh having the chance to chat with you here today um it's been great Uh, i hope we're able to connect again soon but uh yeah i'm really looking forward to seeing uh, all the work that you guys are doing on the ground in lethbridge and and otherwise so thanks very much yeah no thanks happy to chat i'm always easy to talk and talk and talk so (laughs) Appreciate the opportunity. You have the gift of uh, the economic <laughs> development community and being able to, to carry your conversation really well. So thanks so much for your time, Trevor. Thank and you. Uh, have, a, have a wonderful weekend. You too.